I thought I'd try standing just to have a change here. Um, is that right? Okay, everybody, let's go now. We're going to take off. All right. I don't know. Can't promise that. Uh, Oh, I wanted to mention first, because I often forget, uh, that I've put out on that, actually, the table over there as you come in, on the right as you come in, uh, two things. One is uh, I'll be referring to this, which is called the Open Path. It's basically our name for our inner school. And it's a, so if you're curious after this talk of how we express ourselves in these kinds of things, pick one up. Uh, and you're all, of course, welcome. The other is some uh, one-page flyers, look like that, of the our next trip to Syria, these interfaith pilgrimages of peace to Syria. This one will happen in, uh, we haven't done it in a number of years. I think ours was the last, wasn't it, Shabna? I think so. No, we did one after. Okay. In any case, uh, it's in September, end of September this year. So that describes it and... Oh, good. <laughs> All right. It's a lot of fun. It's amazing. And we'll, we spend a, a week up at a, a 10th century Christian monastery uh, in, the, in the desert cliffs. It's quite a... Uh, there's also... Hmm? And it's sitting up front. There's also... I put a little sign-up thing for email if you're curious... If you want to be on any of these lists. There's two. One's Sufi Way and the other... You'll be... You'd be automatically on both anyway if you put your name on it. The other is called The Path of the Friend, which is more our work in uh, doing these pilgrimages and so on around the world and this kind of uh, peace-building work we do. So that's the advertisement. I was very touched by Murshid Karambash's uh, talk this morning and a little chagrined because mine is going to be repetitious, actually. Of <laughs> we're, we're, The theme today, I believe, is the inner school, and we sort of came out of the same pod, I'd say. So <laughs> you'll, you'll notice that there are uh, very direct parallels, although... Certainly my language and metaphors, and some of the metaphysics are a little different, but um, that's how it is to be, isn't it? Sufis were not meant to agree, but to express beauty, right? Mm -hmm. So it says. Toward the end of his life, actually I believe in the last summer school in Suren, uh, 1926, uh, Piro Murshid gave a series of talks, and uh, he concluded the um, one of these talks. It's in the in the tenth, eleventh volume, Philosophy, Psychology, and uh, Mysticism, with these uh, with this passage. What, what is consciousness? Consciousness is the knowing faculty. But it is the knowing faculty 
when it has some knowledge. It is only then that we call it consciousness. One is conscious of something. Consciousness must always be conscious of something. When consciousness is not conscious of, of something, of anything, when consciousness is not conscious of anything, it is pure intelligence. When consciousness is not conscious of anything, it is pure intelligence. It is in this realization that the greatest secret of life can be revealed. One might say that the experience of pure intelligence is possible only for the only being, for God. But no one can stand outside of the only being. The only being includes all. And undoubtedly, there is a certain process by which one can attain to this pure intelligence. Man is not conscious of it anymore, this process. He's lost the habit of experiencing what pure intelligence is. But all the meditations and con concentrations of the whole process by which the mystic treads the spiritual path brings us finally to the realization of that pure intelligence. And if one asks what benefit one derives from it, the answer is that since all that benefits us comes from one source, that source must be perfect. It must be all beneficial. It is beyond our limited imagination, but it is the greatest thing one can attain in life. Now these are strong words. The greatest thing one can attain in one's life. The greatest secret of life is revealed through recognition of what he's calling pure intelligence, which he has defined as consciousness that is not conscious of anything. That's uh, volume 11. Uh, it's the, the uh, lectures on spirit and matter, I think. Consciousness not conscious of anything. So that includes, that's a very broad stroke, isn't it? That includes everything we're experiencing right now. I mean, faces, colors, forms, shapes, sounds, bodily sensations, words, ideas. What else could we put there? Sufism, religion, the Sufi message, Sufi anayat, the, everything that we that occurs in consciousness in awareness um, is in a sense and what he's saying uh, a cover a 
the contents of awareness, of consciousness. I use the word awareness often, but it's the same. What is this knowing faculty? So if it's not anything we can, that shows up, right? All this stuff, that everything where it's in our consciousness now is what's showing up. But it's not that. We seem to only be able to point to it by saying what it isn't. It isn't sound, word, form, color, shape, thought, sensation. Well, if our, if our, the greatest secret, this deepest realization that he's pointing to, in a way that's our job, isn't it? That's our, that's why we've all come. That's what our, our lives are orbiting around, is this same direct realization of what, but this, this, this. How to, how to experience this that is not content, that is not form in any manner, sensation? Is it experienceable? He implies that it <coughs> definitely is, although humans have lost their capacity to do so, generally. But it's the, as he says, the mystic project, basically. It's what we're he- here to somehow accomplish. Where will we look? Especially if we know that we, it won't show up if we look. (laughs) I mean, it won't show up as something that would appear to our looking. A bit like um, well, one one uh, way I like to think of it is that if you all if you become aware right now of the the front of your your head your your face you become aware you know you have the skin there and it's the front of your f- face your head and then you also can be aware of the back of your head right somehow even though you've never seen it but it's back there and. And now notice, so you have the front and the back of your head, notice what's in between the front of your face and the back of your head. (laughs) What's the matter? Didn't you find anything? (laughs) Exactly. Space and Actually, if we look for space, we, we agree that we're in space, right? But where, what is, where is space? Is this air? We can feel it a little bit. But you know, space is something actually that is right through everything, right? It doesn't, it never gets, it never gets blanked out. Space doesn't, does it? Even it goes right through us and we move and it, nothing happened. It stayed there. It can never be stained. 
never be blemished. Space is, accepts everything. So curious. Even if we, for example, look, uh, you can even do it more directly. You don't have to look between your face and your back of your head. Uh, look at your, what is the, what is your countenance? What is your face? I can see your faces, but you can't, right? You can see mine and I can't. So what, what is your face to you? There's a beautiful prayer, you're probably familiar with it, <clears throat> that Sufi and I, uh, it's in the Gayan, and one line goes, uh, Thine image is mine own countenance. Thine image is my own countenance. And that's always when I, that's always troubled me, this idea that we humans are uh, uh, some created in the image of God, because that seems like that's a kind of a poor substitute, you know. Uh, I mean, if this is what God looks like, it's kind of <laughs> minimal. But in it says, and you have to forgive me, I often refer to uh, Hazrat, Sufi, Anayat, Piro Murshid, Anayat Khan, in all sorts of ways like we do, but also in Ayat. So uh, I, I love that word, and, and uh, it's, to me, uh, we, we, we say that it's more uh, respectful to have the honorifics, but we actually call Jesus, Jesus. We, so we might, I mean, at least for those of us who are intimate with Inayat, we can also call him by his first name, I think, by now. Um, in any case, thine image is my own countenance. my countenance, yours, when you look for your countenance, you... nothing there, right? Your face, you only have a little pink blob out there, um, which moves around. So that not finding your countenance is a clue to the image of God, or the thine, thine image, the, the this. So we can't, somehow it's a clue we, we, if we can't find it. The very not finding is perhaps even more than a clue, a window, what is it? A you see, you notice how the mind will r rushes in to try to make something there. Try to say, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. It's sort of nothing, but, and we'll call it something. But the, d the direct experience of no countenance, or the emptiness of your, your face, is, or between, between your ears, is a... Uh, a direct, the direct path, let's say. Um, you know, perhaps this, this uh, 
I think it's a hadith, the beautiful one that says, everything is perishing except his face. Everything is undergoing fana, it's the word is similar to fana, it comes from that root, is that it's perishing, it's being annihilated, everything, except his face, his image, this not find this unfindability. So we're beginning to get a sense of, perhaps, of this, what Sufi and I had called the, the, the greatest secret in life, or that there is something about the very what he calls vacuum, emptiness, nothing, that is un it's unbearable because we would like to have angels and we would like to have some kind of golden glow or bodily thrill or epiphany or some kind of rush that signaled the arrival of God or what this, this most holy of holies. Uh, and if we look carefully, we're beginning to sense, oh my God, there's nothing there. And that nothing is, uh, it's, it's almost like the, that's, it's almost like it incinerates us. It's that it, we have to be willing to go that far. That's the, the fire of Fana, completely. And it's available to us now. I mean, it's not as if you have to do 5,000 uh, zikrs every day for 50 years to finally come to this same recognition that you have no face. It is that intimate. You see, even in this, this moment, it's available to us, this that we're seeking, that we, as he says, can attain in one's life, the greatest realization one can attain in one's life, is actually not something that it's at the end of a spiritual uh, pilgrimage or path. It's always here. We're, we are already, as Murshid Karambash so beautifully described, it's already so. What we're looking for is here. Is it couldn't be anywhere else. It can't be in the future. If, in fact, if we look at time, that's a pretty rough one, because if we think of well, where could we find the past? Let's, I mean, we believe the past has somehow, well, it existed. I don't know if it exists, because if you look for the past, what has occurred like our coming into this room, that was in the past, and there would be no way to find that again, the coming into this room. It's gone. Your childhood, your, all of the past, gone. At least unfindable. Right? And the future? Where would we find it? Is that findable? 
we dream it. I mean, we, we cer- certainly think about the future as if it were really something uh, that we can count on in, to, to come. But it isn't. We have no, no clue. I mean, we couldn't find it. We have no clue what's going to happen next. I mean, a meteorite might hit this little building and five seconds from now. We, we have no clue. So, can't find the past, can't find the future, but certainly whatever is, we could, we could say that has some solidity and substantiality and reality. If we're looking for reality, it would have to be here and now, right? Okay. So let's see if we can find now. Not that one. The, <laughs> this, no. <laughs> Wait a minute, this is very weird because how, how, not only how do you exist, but how do I exist if I can't even find where, when I exist? It's always, I'm sort of after the fact. I'm thinking that I exist, but I'm sort of... Uh, everything is perishing except his face. This is the perishing. It, is, it never even comes into being. Notice how you do it. Do you come into being out of what? Uh, no, maybe which way are we going to go? Well, I guess we'll go from the future. We come into, it sort of gives birth to us and suddenly we're here and then we're out. Or, <laughs> so you see how odd it is, this business of being? And we are sharing it with every little spinning electron everywhere, every little photon that's whatever they are. Uh, the whole thing is never as it was, even now. It never is, it never is, you could say. It never comes into being, and so therefore it can never goes out of being because it didn't even come into being. So this puts us in a kind of tenuous position, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially since we, <laughs> we want to find the truth and we want to somehow find safety. Or what is it? Belonging? What are we after? Everything. We're after everything. Okay. I'll buy that. Let's do that. Let's everything. But everything's vanishing too. Everything perishing except his face. And his face, if Sufi Anayat has it correctly, is my countenance, and, and that's not there. I mean, look at it, look at your countenance, not there. This kind of, uh, the direction that Inayat gives in this talk, focusing on uh, Awareness that is not aware of anything, but awareness, pure awareness itself, primordial awareness, is what he's pointing to. That this is the secret of secrets. <clears throat> we take this in our inner school as our marching orders. 
this is, in, a, in the simplest way, we could say this is what we're about. This is how we focus all of our work, is the direct realization of, what are we going to call it? This? I, I prefer to call it this, rather than even God. It's just this. And even that, be, even this, that, bec- no, <laughs> becomes, the words themselves hold on to something. And we can now, we can decorate it. We could say it's pure intelligence or pure awareness. Or, but this that we're speaking of is not definable. In the same, or I think an, just an earlier lecture that summer, Anayat said something like, if we define spirit, it cannot be spirit. The spirit that can be defined cannot be spirit. And then, right after that, he said, Spirit, if you're going to define it, we could say it's pure intelligence. It's all the same, then. We're talking, this that has no content is pure intelligence, is awareness, and is unfindable. And yet, you can't find your awareness, you can't look at it. Where would you look? And yet it's palpable, isn't it, that you're aware, or that awareness is. It's the last thing you'd want to give up, isn't it? I mean, you give up a lot, but if you gave up awareness, forget it. The whole thing shuts down, if it could. Let's do a little um, uh, meditation together just to orbit around this again. Um, if, if you, um, it's probably easiest to close your eyes, but I invite you to do so, or, or you don't have to. It works either way. You def- arrange yourself in a calm and awake, relaxed state, alert, just breathing naturally. Begin to notice the the weight of the sensation of your the weight of your body on the floor or the your pillow, your chair. Perhaps your feet are on the floor, that sense of pressure, of gravity. Just gently ask yourself, what is it that's aware of, of this weight? And without pushing it, you might extend that now to an, another sensation, the, the sound of the, my voice or the airplane. What is it that's aware of these sounds? And now if you bring your attention to 
the direction in front of you, this in frontness. You can imagine it going across the room, that directly in front of you, across this room and then through the wall, across the yard, over the landscape, these rolling hills, the, the hawks wheeling in the sky, the traffic on the highway below. This direction, gent- uh, directly in front of you, keeps going and going across the landscape, out further until the curve of the earth begins to, you sense this, the earth dropping away through the atmosphere. This is all directly in front of you right now. Out through the higher levels of the atmosphere, you see the curve of the earth, then into space, out into deeper space. This is the earth dropping away beneath you. And out right now, this is what's in front of you, into deep space and the solar system, the moon out there, the sun, further and further, till the solar system is left behind and you're in deep space, into the stars, the myriad ones, and then finally through the edge of our galaxy, until you see it forming this great pinwheel out into the enormity of space. And this is all directly in front of you until you are in the countless stars and galaxies and nebula. Now, having some sense of this direction in front of you, ask, what is it that's aware of this direction? not trying to answer with a word, but a direct experience. And now coming back to your body, add the dimension, the direction behind you. Notice it too, directly behind you, in that direction, goes across the room, through the wall, across the field the hills and the landscape, over towns, cities, ocean, through the atmosphere, beyond the atmosphere of the earth, into the solar system, all behind you, directly beyond the solar system, into deep space countless stars, our galaxy now showing itself 
and falling behind. All behind you. Until you're in the vast reaches of infinite space. And now, gently holding both of these directions, in front of you and behind you, ask, what is it that's aware of these two directions? And now we can continue this exploration, and you know the journey, to the right of you. And just <clears throat> help your imagination to notice to the right of you, out the, the room, the walls, landscape, the sky, over mountains and cities and towns and ocean, through the atmosphere into space, beyond the solar system, all to the right of you, until you're in deep, deep space beyond our galaxy. What is it that's aware of this? And to the left of you, the same process, imagination, through the room, across the land, through the air and the atmosphere, beyond the earth, all to the left of you, until you notice that to the left as well extends infinitely into deep starlit space. Now we have coordinates. Now we have front and back, to the right and left, and seemingly you, right at the intersection. What is aware of this spaciousness, these four directions? We can add <clears throat> now the direction above our heads. This is a shorter way out, right through the roof, up through the atmosphere, and soon above our heads. The atmosphere thins or into space, the earth below us, out further and further beyond the orbit of the moon, a silver disk, the sun bright there, beyond the planets, what we call up, out into deep space and beyond our galaxy and into the vast, endless sea of openness, stars. What is aware of this direction of up? And now finally, let's add the direction down, beneath our feet, our bodies, into the earth, through this room and into the 
soil and rock and through the earth's crust into the magma beneath our our room here, a hundred or more miles, it becomes churning, molten, down and down, imagining that <clears throat> within a mere 8,000 miles we're out the other side, through the oceans or whatever is there, into space, into air and then space, and then right beneath us, the vastness of endless space and stars. And now the question again, now that we have these six coordinates, what is it that's aware of these directions, this spaciousness? not finding anything. Let us rest here, just as this. If we look for something that it is, this that is aware, we notice there is no center to it, no edge, no way to know it, no texture or color, nothing in itself, unconfined and open, completely present, now. Now, actually, you ordinarily in a meditation like this, the guide would say, all right, now gently come back to your body and get back into this room. But what if you, what if we don't? What if we, well, you can gently open your eyes if you feel for it, but notice that it doesn't go away whatever it is that we're speaking of. There's a wonderful line of um, the old Sufi Nagari who says, this that we speak of cannot be found by seeking, yet only seekers find it. The great uh, Advaita sage, uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj, says of this awareness, this pure intelligence, 
Awareness is primordial. It is the original state. Beginningless, endless, uncaused, unsupported, without parts, without change. It is the common matrix of all experience. Now, this that we may be able to glimpse, but even glimpse is the wrong word, because uh, we're not glimpsing anything, then we're not seeing anything. This that we are opening to, um, it's not really the result of a practice, even though we just did a little guided meditation. The, the only practice was the question, what, what is this? I suppose that's a practice, but what is this that's already so? And then allowing ourselves to relax at that moment. In the open path work in our inner school, we focus on this in, in a way that <clears throat> we, we think of it as three parts, really. Recognition, which is what we've been doing. This, in fact, we understand this recognition. And then, uh, well, this is the initiatic, this is how we understand the initiatic moment. We have ceremonies of initiation and so on, but this direct resting in this is the synchronistic initiatic moment. So that's, that's the essential. And then the second stage, so to speak, it's not really a stage, is repetition, recognition. And then we just do it again and again and again and again and again, in all sorts of little ways, inviting this direct recognition to occur. The third step, not really a step either, uh, what I call ease, ease. Recognition, repetition, and ease. After a while, it begins to happen all by itself. Happen, it, happen. Wrong words, but it begins to be how we recognize what's happening. That emptiness myself, I see emptiness here. We're all in this emptiness. We're all of emptiness together. And yet, lo and behold, look at all of this, how it shows up and appears. How, what, how marvelous the changes are, the, the shifts, the colors, the sounds, <clears throat> the sweetness of each other in this world. The object Often in the beginning of this work, we make we make a what I call a lie. We pull the two apart in a way like Anayat did and said it's pure intelligence, pure, not impure intelligence, just cleverness. We're going to make a distinction. That's how he does it too. We make a distinction between, let's say, this absolute being of unfindable being and 
the findable, the conditioned and the unconditioned. But that's helpful as we begin to become familiar with this and free ourselves from the, the continual interpretations and, and, and thought patterns that we have about what is real. But at a certain point, th this isn't about two. This isn't about some rarefied state of emptiness. Uh, we notice that it's absolutely simultaneously so, just like your face. It's empty, and yet something. This moment, the same as this moment, right? Here, not here. So, five, oh my goodness, I'm going to wrap it up in five, okay. This talk was billed as the worldly mystic, and I've spent most of my time on the mystic side of things. <laughs> but actually, What, what occurs in this, in this kind of recognition? We, we, we attain, to use Inayat's word, we attain a recognizing that there is nothing here. There's nobody home here. There's nobody home, and there's nobody home. And we, all of our individuation and attachment to our identities, that's a whole other uh, line of our work, of, it's the fana work, the unlearning, letting it go, and then together, uh, the, only through selflessness can we uh, find each other. Then we, it's not like we find each other, but we are, find, we are, we enter an intimacy. We call, could call it love. But it's the intimacy with everything. We are not separate or different. The whole world in its mu multiplicity is of us. It's like Master Dogen said, the, uh, we're nothing other than mountains and rivers and this wide earth, the, uh, the sea and the sands and the stars. We, this intimacy then allows us to, in the moment, in this synchronistic moment, this moment, if gradually, uh, so to say, living here more and more, risking everything, to live completely fresh in the moment. That's my understanding of what a Sufi is, is one who lives in eternal freshness. It's not far from us, is it? I mean, it's not, you don't have to be some wild dervish or some great sage. You don't have to grow your beard long. It's, this freshness is ever given to us, the freshness of this moment, always. It's always renewed, no matter how many times we get engaged in some little identity issue. It's always given fresh. All forgiving, all merciful, as Murshid Karambash reminded us, all merciful. 
these aren't metaphysical concepts that we need to somehow get right and work it out and be and read our message books 50 times until we're going to get it this is sufism is utterly experiential and utterly non-definitive it uses stories and definitions but completely inclusive of all of all and in this uh, embrace, then there isn't a Sufi and a Buddhist or something like that. Su- Sufism itself vanishes. As I said last night, there is no Sufism. There is no message. There is no... It, it isn't... As our minds will make these things occur, they are mind matter. And they're helpful. They're kind of like poetry. But poetry... You don't stop it and analyze it. He who kisses the bird, uh, the joy as it flies, lives in eternity's sunrise. You know that Blake line. That's this eternal freshness of the moment. So I did want to say a whole lot more, but I'm glad my time is up because I think it's it's enough. Uh, What a mystery, isn't it? That we, and it doesn't stop, does it? It's it's given and given and given. A whole lot of nothing going on. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, and thank you, Shabda, for making all this occur.